And they're not going to get any better. And you know, I feel so sorry for anyone that doesn't know the Lord. I don't know how they can possibly keep a right mind in this crazy world in which we live now. I mean, is anybody else noticing that these headlines of mass murders, shootings, bombings are becoming more and more commonplace? I understand there was another shooting last night at some marijuana rally. I mean... Uh, what's up with that? But anyway, we're just, it's, the place is going crazy. The world is going nuts. And we are the only people that have real peace. We're the only people that are able to make any sense of what's going on in the world today. And I, I just, I thank God that I'm saved. I thank God that when I go to bed at night, I know if I die tonight, I know where I'm going to be in the morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The highlight for me last Sunday might sound a little strange to you. And God speaks to each one of us in different ways. But the highlight for me last Sunday was over here, right in that spot, when we were praying for Antonio. This man was weeping and crying and speaking in tongues. And if you know anything about his story, and he shared more with me after the meeting, he said, Pastor... This stroke has been the greatest blessing in my life. You, you listen to those words. That's not a crazy man. That's a man who understands the workings of God. He says, for 13 years, I walked away from the Lord. I was rebellious. I was stubborn. I wanted to do it my way. And my life was completely messed up. And it took this to bring me back to my senses. It took this to bring me back to the Lord. And he says, I am happier now than I've ever been in my life. And you know, I told him, I said, Antonio, we got to get you back here one Sunday because I want you to share your whole testimony. It is powerful. It is powerful. It's not the kind of testimony you might hear on Christian radio or Christian TV, but after all is said and done, it doesn't matter whether you and I have one arm, one leg, or one eye. What matters is if we make it into heaven or not. And there are a lot of people that are going to have big, strong, healthy bodies, and they're going straight to hell. And there are others, their bodies may have been broken and maimed and mangled, but their spirit got right with God. And you know what? That is all that really matters in the end. What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world, all the trophies, all the diamonds and silver and gold and titles and power, and he loses his soul. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Help us to, to get the right perspective on life in these few days that we have remaining. Father, we thank you once again for all the things that you did in people's hearts and lives last week here. Let that work of the Holy Spirit continue in each and every heart and life. Keep stirring us up, giving us a hunger and a thirst to seek after you, to run after you, to get closer to you than we've ever been before. We thank you and we praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. 
precious name. Amen. Before we go to my message, and I don't think it's going to be very long, I want to put a scripture up that came to me while we were worshiping this morning. It's found in Psalm 110. Now, read with me. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. You know, as we were singing, I think it was that last song where it says, seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. I just, I had a vision, just a, a flash, where I saw the Lord on His throne. And how many of you like to put your feet on a footstool, you know, to kind of elevate them and just rest them a bit? I just saw the Lord resting in perfect calm and peace on His throne. Every enemy was His footstool. You know, we need to get that vision into our hearts and lives. Sometimes we're so flustered and frustrated and, and scrambling all around trying to put this fire out and rebuke this devil. The Lord wants us to sit at His right hand with Jesus because we are destined to share that throne with Him. According to Revelation 3, we will sit in His throne just as He sat down with His Father in His throne. And sitting in a throne speaks about power. It speaks about authority. It speaks about absolute dominion. And that's what it says. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So right now, we still have enemies. At least I do. I don't know if anybody else does. But there's enemies all around. But in the middle of all of that confusion, terror, anguish, trials, challenges, and problems, God is calling us to sit with Him in His victory. Not our victory, in His victory. Because He has already overcome all of His enemies. And it's not unusual after the Lord visits you, or blesses you, or does something special in your life, for the enemy to come along and say, hey, remember me? I'm the devil. And I was talking with Pastor Tom this week. The, the day after he preached here, his whole body from head to toe, he broke out in a rash. He's never had anything like that in his life. And he said, brother, I'm used to this. The devil always tries to come, especially after I pray for people to be healed. He'll try to hit me with some kind of a plague or something in my body. And we prayed and it was gone by the next morning. But, you know, I had a couple of challenges this week also. And I found myself one morning saying, Devil, I don't care what you are up to. I want you to know one thing. My Jesus is risen from the dead. That's all. That settles it all. He's risen from the dead. See you later. And you know, that resurrection victory is something we need to rest in. It's already finished. It's already settled. It's already resolved. Done over. The enemy has been defeated. Praise God. Praise God. All right. I want to speak a little bit more about some of the things that Pastor Tom shared here last Sunday. And... I, at the expense of sounding like a broken record, I'm going to keep talking about the importance and the need of us being filled with the Holy Spirit 
walking in the Spirit, flowing in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. Because we're only fooling ourselves if we think we can live the Christian life or be the church of Christ without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's all over the New Testament. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I'm happy to see, little by little, more and more people are getting that revelation. More and more people are jumping into the river and they're experiencing the power of God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning in specific, the power of God. And one of the scriptures that Pastor Tom, I believe, referred to last week I've spoken on it many times here, but I want to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians 2, from 1 to 5. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. And by the way, I have to believe with all of the study and religious training and preparation Paul had in his life, he was an eloquent speaker. I don't think he was a bumbling idiot when he got up to talk. I think he was eloquent, and I believe he had unbelievable wisdom from his years of experience in the Jewish religion, all of his training and his upbringing. Nevertheless, he says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved. You ever, you ever resolved something? You come to a place where you really make up your mind. I've got to go on a diet and I'm going to lose 10 pounds, so help me God. You know what that feeling is when you've resolved something. You really made up your mind. Well, Paul said, I made up my mind to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, Pastor Tom and I were talking about this the other night. Maybe we're getting old. I don't know what it is. We just don't like to talk about a whole lot else except for Jesus now. Nothing else really interests us. And, and I'm understanding more what Paul meant. I just made up my mind. I don't want to know anything else now but Jesus and Him crucified. And then in the next verse, he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. That's not the picture we normally have in our minds of the great Apostle Paul, right? You know, we sometimes picture he must have had a big Apostle button on his three-piece suit. I am the Apostle. No, I came with weakness and fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And again, I believe Paul was an excellent orator. I believe he could argue with the best and persuade them about Jesus being the Christ. But he had no confidence in his ability to preach, in his wisdom, in his oratory skills. My message and my preaching were not with those things, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now hold that right there. Let that phrase really work deep down into your spirit. Not just today, but in coming days and weeks. This thing is a continual prayer of mine now. I don't care about clever speeches. I don't care about how wise or persuasive our speeches are. My heart's cry now is, Lord, show up and demonstrate your power. That's all we need. 
We need a demonstration. I like that word. You know, they say there are different kind of learners. I'm sure that I'm a visual learner. I learn better when I can see you do something. One day, Nigel showed me how to do something on the car. It would have taken me hours if I had to read that in a manual and then go out and find the screw and know what to do and how to pull it. In five minutes, he showed me, here's how you do it, Pastor. You just go, whoop, whoop, whoop. And now I know how to do it because I saw it. And we need a demonstration in the church. Otherwise, and the next verse is really critical here. Look at verse 5. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, there are two kinds of Christians, and I believe there are two kinds of churches in the world today. There are many, many Christians that have built their faith around a human personality. I'll let that sink in. Oh, I listen to so-and-so on the TV every day. He's my hero. Okay, well then you're trusting in so-and-so. Another group, because they have seen the demonstration of God's power, they care not to put their faith in men anymore. Their faith rests on God and His power. They're no longer trusting in a human being. And you know, it's always sad, especially when a prominent, famous, well-known Christian leader has some sort of a moral collapse or they disgrace the ministry and then you hear about thousands and thousands of followers that are just like orphans. They've lost their leader and they don't know what to do now. And I understand I'm not making little of that. That's a very painful experience that I've been through. When you see a leader fall, it really shatters your faith, but it also hopefully brings you to a place where you want to put your faith more and more in God who will not fall and will not fail. I may fail, he may fail, everyone else in this world may fail you, but if you put your faith and trust and hope in the power of God, he says you will never be disappointed. So back up to verse 4 again for a moment. Paul was resolved. He was very deliberate about this. I don't want people trusting in my wisdom, in my ability to persuade them. I don't see Paul giving these, you know, emotional appeals for people to come to Christ. No, he wanted God to show up, convict them of their sins, and they come running to the altar. And they say, Paul, what do we need to do? How do we get saved? And Further on in 1 Corinthians, he he speaks about something that I pray for often. I'm really longing to see this more and more in our midst. He says, when unbelievers come into your meeting and people begin to prophesy, remember that's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking and revealing things. Unbelievers fall down, the Bible says, and exclaim, wow, God is here. I want to see that more and more and more. I want to see when unbelievers walk into the church, the power of God, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, not our clever speeches or our clever persuasion, but the presence and the power of God brings them to their knees and they say, I want to get saved. God's real. God's here. What do I need to do to get right with God? So Paul was very deliberate about wanting this demonstration. 
And if you look up that word in the original language, it really means to put on an exhibit. It's something that can be seen. It's a display. It's something that's unmistakable. And this verse blesses me because it lets me know the Holy Spirit wants to manifest Himself. He wants to put on a display. He wants to give demonstrations of what? Power. Power. God's power. So that our faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, in Luke chapter 24, this is after the cross, after the resurrection, Jesus is about to ascend back to the right hand of the Father. He has spent three and a half years with Peter, James, John, the other disciples, training them, preparing them to carry on his work and his ministry because now he's gone. He's about to go back to the Father and he's going to leave them in charge of this thing which he hasn't really explained too much to them about, but he called it the church. I don't want to get too off topic here, but it's amazing to me that in the four Gospels, the word church only appears two times. Isn't that amazing? Why is that? I'll give you my reason. They weren't ready to even hear teaching on the church yet because they didn't have the Holy Spirit and you can't have a church without the Holy Spirit. You can't build a church without the Holy Spirit. So it was only after the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit that God began to reveal more of the details about this thing called the church. But here, as Jesus is preparing to ascend... Maybe Peter and James and John, at least now they really do understand, wow, Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would. Let's go out and preach. Let's go out and start churches. Let's go out and have some evangelistic campaigns. To their utter surprise, Jesus said, don't go anywhere. Sit down. Don't go anywhere. Very important. Luke chapter 24 Let's pick it up at verse 45. We'll go down to verse 49. Then he, that's Jesus, opened their minds, the disciples, so they could understand the Scriptures. That's interesting. He had to open their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, at this point, if I'm Peter or James or John, I'm like, all right, let's go for it. Let's go to the nations. Let's go preach repentance. Let's go preach forgiveness. Let's go tell everybody Jesus is risen from the dead. We'll look at the next verse. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay. <laughs> stay put. Stay in the city. And there's a very important word there. It's the word until. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. They had the knowledge. They had some experience. Remember, these disciples had been sent out to preach, to heal the sick, to cast out devils. Jesus told them to raise the dead. I don't see any instances in the gospel specifically where they did that, but he told them to do that, and he gave them power and authority to do all that. But obviously, they're still lacking something. Because you don't tell somebody, whoa, 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 sit down, stay right here until something happens. And then you will be ready. They weren't ready yet. 
They weren't ready to live the Christian life. They weren't ready to fulfill their ministry and their calling because they lacked one thing. What did they lack? Power. Thank you. Wait right here until you have been clothed with power. I like that. King James says, endued with power. This is not going to be a little touch. You know, a little... No, you need to put on power as a coat. You're going to need to be clothed with power before you can be effective for me. I've been in the ministry almost 40 years now. And trust me, in 40 years, I've seen a lot. And I find as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, the needs, the problems, the challenges that people are facing, they're becoming more and more complex and complicated. And people that are coming to us, they have such overwhelming needs. We can't help them. We can't just counsel them out of their addictions or their perversions or their bondages. And I was walking around in my house this week just considering a couple of different very challenging cases that are before me right now. And I said, Lord, I know you called me to this ministry. I'm quite happy to keep doing this ministry, but I cannot do this ministry without your power. I cannot. I cannot just talk and persuade and counsel people to quit their addictions, to change their habits, to have a new lifestyle. You never intended for it to happen that way. You know I need your power, so we are waiting until you clothe us with power. That's what Jesus told them. Don't go anywhere. Just wait until you are full of power. And so on the day of Pentecost, they were prepared. God had been preparing them and teaching them there's something that you still need before you can really live the Christian life. And in Acts chapter 1, those of you that study the Bible, you will know that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, is the same one who wrote the book of Acts. So he kind of picks up here right where he left off in Luke chapter 24. And we're told in Acts 1, starting at verse 3, After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You see, this isn't just blind faith. Jesus wanted to make sure he proved to them, I am the Messiah, I conquered death, I'm risen from the dead, and now I'm going back to my Father. He did it over a period of 40 days. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Next verse. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Interesting. Don't go anywhere. Stay put and wait for something. Wait for something that you need so desperately, you don't dare leave Jerusalem without it. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. But you will receive, will receive, what did we find out in Luke that they lacked? Power and I believe Pastor Tom brought this out very well last week, and I want to reiterate 
for those of you that are still looking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, although the first thing that happened on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in other tongues, Jesus did not say you will receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Is that right? What you really need is power. Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're not going to stay put anymore. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. (coughs) And then on to the ends of the earth. But don't go anywhere till you get that power. I think there's an important lesson for all of us. Even somebody like me, maybe I've been in the ministry for a long time. I've experienced the power of God. But tomorrow, when I wake up, I need to go back to the Lord again and say, Lord, I can't do anything today without your power. I dare not trust in my 40 years of experience. I dare not think that I've now mastered this thing and I've got it all figured out. No, I cannot do it in my strength. I need power. I need power. And so in Acts 2, when the fulfillment of the Father's promise came with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we know the first thing that happened is they began to speak in other tongues. But what they really needed was the power of God. The power of God. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. But based on Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit came, what did they receive? Power. Power. Let me tell you something. The power of God is not some imaginary thing. It's real. It shakes things. It'll shake you. It'll shake the house. It'll shake the church. It'll shake and rattle things out of your life that aren't supposed to be there. A violent wind came. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire resting on their heads. This is a powerful experience that they had because God had prepared them. You're going to receive dunamis, dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I'm not going to go through the whole book of Acts, but I just want to show you a couple of things subsequent to the day of Pentecost And this is very important, especially for some of you that might have just received the Holy Spirit. It's not just one-time experience. Oh, praise God, last Sunday I got filled with the Spirit. I felt the power of God. It shook me, and I even spoke in tongues a little bit. Wonderful. What about Monday? Did it happen again on Monday? Supposed to. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Yes. And look in Acts 4, and we'll see that the church regularly and continuously got filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a one-time experience. Acts 4, by this time, they're already experiencing persecution. I don't want to scare anybody here, but the Holy Spirit will get you in trouble. I'll let you chew on that a minute. The Holy Spirit will get you in trouble. Because, you see, there's a clash of spirits. There's a clash of kingdoms. Jesus said, when I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then you know the kingdom of God has come. So the the kingdom of God 
comes inside of us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are other kingdoms around us that don't like the kingdom of God. By the way, just a side note, I, don't, I really don't want to comment too much on all of the evil and the senseless maiming and killing that's gone on this past week. But I keep hearing a term on the radio and in the news, and I would just like to maybe correct it a little bit. I keep hearing that these young men who blew everybody up in Boston, they became radicalized. Well, to be a little more theologically correct, they became demonized. And whenever any religion or any philosophy leads someone to harm other human beings, to wish them harm, to kill them, to blow off their limbs, to try to blind them or do them any harm, that religion, that philosophy is backed by demons. I don't care if it's Islam or Christianity. If anybody thinks that they have to blow up people and kill people to convert them, they are being inspired and led and empowered by a wrong kingdom and a wrong spirit. My Bible says there's one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and his name is Satan. Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly. So what we're witnessing on our primetime television is the very face of Satan. This is Satan at his very worst. He likes to kill. He comes to kill and to destroy. So anyone that comes to a place in life where they feel like they're doing their God some kind of service by killing people, they are demonized. They are completely demonized. And that's what we're witnessing more and more in all these shootings and killings and bombings. People have opened up their hearts and minds to wrong spirits that are deceiving them and deluding them and even bringing them to a place like what Jesus said in John 16, they will kill people thinking that they're doing God's service. My friends, that is bizarre deception when you think you're doing something for God by killing or hurting another human being. Now, in Acts 4, they were already facing some serious persecution because of this Holy Spirit power that had come upon them. Because remember, when the Holy Spirit comes and gives you power, you will become a what? A witness. You will begin to testify boldly, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is risen from the dead. And it got some of them thrown into jail. And so when they got out of jail, they had a prayer meeting. <coughs> and here they are praying real quietly. Lord, help us not, in to get, not to get in trouble with the authorities anymore. Help us to be silent witnesses of you so we stay out of jail. Let us just win people to Christ with our lives and keep our mouth shut so we don't get in any more trouble. Is that how they prayed? Acts 4, verse 29. This is their prayer. Now, just imagine you've just been released from prison. We're preaching, we're trying to convert people to Christ. How are you going to pray now? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. We must not have been bold enough yesterday, so give us more boldness, right? Remember the thing about demonstration, the spirit and power? Notice how they pray. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders 
through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We want more boldness to speak, and we need you to back us up with power, with miracles, with signs, with wonders, and with healing. Okay, let's see what happened. After they prayed, they all fell asleep. That it? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were, a few, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is again. Acts 2, filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They spoke the Word of God boldly. I heard a song recently. It talks about how the darkness is increasing in these last days. And then the chorus is, we are speaking louder than before. We need to speak louder now. We need to be bolder now than ever. God, fill us with your spirit. Give us power. Stretch forth your hand to heal the sick, cast out devils, and perform mighty signs and wonders so that we can boldly proclaim the word and the truth of God. Look in Acts 10. Did Jesus need power? Did Jesus need power? Acts 10, verse 38. I want you to notice two different powers here, all mentioned in one verse. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth huh, with, with and power. Anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And He went around doing good and healing all who were under. And here's another power. People that he met were under some other power. What is it? They were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Let me tell you something. This thing that we're doing is not fun and games. This is very serious business. We are dealing with life and death situations. We are confronting people that are bound by evil, bound by the power of the devil. And there's only one power, stronger that can break that. It's not your persuasiveness. It's not your, your cleverness. It's not your good looks or your personality. You need the power of God to combat the power of the devil. And let me tell you something. If you think the, the devil is some imaginary figure, you're living in Disneyland. Because people that I'm meeting, people that I'm trying to minister to, there's a power working in their life, and it ain't the power of God. It's a, it's a dark power. It's a very dark power. And that's why I was saying, God, I can't do this ministry in my own strength. I need the power of God. We need all of the demonstration, all of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit now. I'm sorry, we need all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can't hold anything back now, Lord. We need all your power and all of your wisdom because it seems like all hell has been released in these last days. The the level of deception and delusion that is working in people's hearts and minds, we're not going to be able to talk them out of that. We need the power of God. Jesus needed the power of God. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and He was able to heal all who were under the power of the devil. In Luke chapter 10, remember Luke wrote the book of Acts, so you see a lot of similarities in what he writes about in his gospel and what actually happens in the book of Acts. In Luke chapter 10, this is only recorded by Luke. You don't find this in any of the other Gospels. Luke chapter 10, let's start at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. If you have never 
had the experience of casting a demon out of someone, it's, it's pretty amazing. And they were like, wow, demons obeyed me. Well, they didn't really obey you. They obeyed the Holy Spirit in you, and they respected the power of God and the authority of God on your life. They don't care about you. <laughs> Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome... How much? How much? All the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Wow. We need to really get that on the inside. I need to get that on the inside. I have been given authority to trample snakes, scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. How am I going to do that? By the power of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now go back to Acts. I promise you this wasn't going to take too long. Acts 26. Paul here is giving his own personal testimony. And it's interesting, in the book of Acts, three different times it's recorded Paul giving his own personal testimony. I think that's significant. God has given every one of us a testimony, and we should never stop telling that testimony. 